0: Sometimes at a speaking event that I'm having, uh, the first night that I get up, I will lead with this question, how many of you are biblical counselors? And let's say if there are a hundred people in the room that there may be three or four people that will raise their hands. I don't ask this question at every conference, but I have asked it a number of times, and that's typically what I get. A very small percentage of people raise their hands when I ask, how many of you are biblical counselors? And then I'll ask a follow-up question, but I will preface it. I will say, I don't want you to raise your hand when I ask you this question, but I do want you to answer it. Now, the reason I don't want them to raise their hand is because I don't want to embarrass anybody or call anybody out. But here's the second question. The second question is, how many of you are Christians? Then I will follow up by saying, I would imagine that most of you in this room would raise your hand and say that you are a Christian. Well, here's the thing. If you are a Christian, then you are a biblical counselor. Every Christian is a biblical counselor. It is God's call on our lives. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode By the way, if you benefit from this podcast, would you do me a favor and go on the platform that you're listening to, whatever platform that is, Spotify, iTunes, would you write a a nice review about this podcast episode? Would you encourage others to listen to it, and would you give us a five-star rating By doing that, it helps us algorithmically to reach more people, and that is our objective. Our resources are free. We give them away, including this podcast. We don't ask anything in return. We just want to serve the body of Christ, and we want to reach the world with the practical message of Christ. And you can help us, you can partner with us in that small way by writing a review, giving us a good rating, and then even sharing the podcast with a friend. In this particular podcast, the title of it is Every Christian Should Be Counseling. It's God's Call on our lives. Now this is a short article on our website, and so if you look for that title, uh, you can read exactly what I'm about to share with you. Because this this is the heart of this ministry. The title of this podcast is Life Over coffee, and all of us should be doing life over coffee or life over milk or tea or soda. Whatever your beverage choice is, we should get together with another person and share our lives with them. That is a simplified definition of what biblical counseling is, and so I want to talk about the whole scope of biblical counseling in the most informal level and also the higher-end formalized level. And it doesn't matter where you fit. That's not the big thing. The big thing is, are you doing the work of biblical counseling according to the gifting that God has given to you? One of the most unintended consequences of the biblical counseling movement is that counseling is for a select number of Christians. And that's why I would open some of the speaking events that I do with that question, because I want to deflate that idea. Once you start talking about biblical counseling and the responsibility of Christians to do it, the majority of Christians take a step back and they self-disqualify themselves from the task of doing biblical counseling. And though God has blessed the biblical counseling movement over the past several decades, one of the problems with the unprecedented growth of biblical counseling is that we forgot to tell the church that counseling is for everyone, not just for a few. God's call on your life is to go and make disciples a synonym for counseling. The notion that only a few good men and women can counsel, well, that is a secularized notion, not a biblical one. The world is bent toward individualism, while the church should be bent toward community, specifically a community of Christ-like disciple-makers. Your church, my church, should be a hospital where people come, broken people come, fallen people, which is all of us, and we should be busy scurrying about doing the work of mending lives, putting lives back together, restoring lives back to wholeness, And that is the job of every believer. Now, we all have a different skill set. We can all do it according to the specific gifting that we have. But the work of discipleship is for everyone. The world believes in specialization, while the church believes in equipping everyone to do the work of ministry. Now, you hear that in Paul's language in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse number 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Being antithetical to the world is especially important for helping others by providing the counsel, because any form of counseling success must be contextualized and worked out within the local church community. Inside this article here, I have a link to a one-another chart. Uh, It is a chart of all the one-another verses in the New Testament, and there's more than 30 of them, and you can click on this link and pull up that chart and take a look at it, but there are... The New Testament, mostly letters written to local churches, is about doing the work of one anothering. So you could say that one anothering is a synonym for discipleship, and discipleship is a synonym for biblical counseling. For example, here's a short list of things that all of us possess as Christians, as believers. All believers have the spirit's empowerment and so we are empowered to go out and do the work of ministry all believers have the spirit's illumination it is the spirit of god that illuminates our mind that gives us insight into his word so that we can share those insights with other people i've i've told i've told people for years that in a counseling office i'm having two conversations at the same time. As I'm interacting with the person that's sitting across with me, I'm also interacting with the Spirit of God and praying and asking and appealing to Him to illuminate my mind and give me the insight that I need so that I can share that insight with the person that is sitting across from me. And so all believers have the Spirit's empowerment. All believers have the Spirit's illumination. All believers can pray. All believers have a maturing understanding of God's word, meaning that when you first become a Christian, you may be like I was. I didn't know John 3, 16 when I got saved, meaning I did not know anything about the Bible, but I could still talk to people about God. I was doing the work of biblical counseling the day I got saved even though I didn't know John 3:16 but I was communicating God's word in my experience with God to anybody that would listen to me according to my understanding and then Whenever I got out into the deeper waters, I had, a, I had a trump card, and that card said, hey, I want you to see my pastor. Because if there was anyone that I got on the line and they began asking things that I could not answer, I always pulled out my pastor card and said, hey, I want you to talk with my pastor. And so I had a maturing understanding of God's word that's continued to grow all of these decades. All believers have an experience with God. All believers can love people, and I trust you do love people. All believers have God's call to share his word. All believers have God's call to be disciple makers. And so those are some of the things that are universal. They are ubiquitous in, in or Every believer in the body of Christ possesses these things, the Spirit's empowerment, the Spirit's illumination, the ability to pray, a maturing understanding of God's Word, an experience of God, a love for people, a call to share God's Word, a call to go and make disciples. And then some will ask, but aren't some folks more gifted to counsel? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're all different. The common assumption among Christians about Christian counselors is that there is a specialized field for specialized people. This assumption is usually because of the unbiblical definition of biblical counseling. Biblical counseling defined is one believer using God's word to help another individual. That is a simple way of saying what biblical counseling is. Every believer is empowered. Every believer is equipped. Every believer is urged to bring the truths of God's Word into their sphere of influence. As a Christ follower, as a Christ imitator, we have the privilege to bring God's Word to bear on any individual according to our giftedness and our understanding of God's Word. And so with the work of the Spirit of God active in us, we can continue to grow in both our knowledge and giftedness in applying God's Word. Now, like I was sharing earlier in my 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 early days of my Christian experience, I always had that card in my pocket, I want you to come see my pastor. There will be a few individuals with a higher end gifting, you could say, and they are the ones who take on the more complex cases. In fact, I would discourage many Christians, most Christians, not to even think about taking on higher-end complex counseling cases like, say, uh, sexual abuse. Uh, that is a counseling situation for a seasoned counselor who has the maturity and the objective measured gifting to be able to interact with a person with such a complexity as sexual abuse. Unfortunately, one of the problems that we have in the biblical counseling movement is that you can go through a certain amount of training, and everybody gets a certification, and there's no distinction between the gifting of one certified biblical counselor and another and unfortunately not only have we done a poor job communicating uh, the difficulties in becoming a skill or the challenges in becoming a skilled biblical counseling at this level but there's many people within the church who say i I just want a certified biblical counselor, and they do not understand that every certified biblical counselor is not the same. And so whether it's the biblical counseling community doing a poor job in communicating what it means to be a biblical counselor, or the church thinking that one size fits all, it's just not true, and we need to be clearer in this. It's like singing. We can all do it but some are better than others. And so my gifting and singing relegates me to the shower, not the stage. Then there are other people who are great They are fantastic at singing, and you want to hear them. You want them on the stage. And so it's not that they are better than me, but it is just recognizing that they have a gift that I do not possess, not at that level, but I do have the ability to sing, and so I want to sing according to the strengths and the gifting that I have. Knowing your strengths and weaknesses is a blessing for all. Having a a sober self-awareness of who you are and what you can do, uh, it is a blessing to everyone. But we should never disqualify ourselves from doing the work of discipleship or what I am synonymously calling biblical counseling. In John four, the woman at the well encountered Jesus. After that encounter, she went into a village and began to tell, she began to counsel others about her interaction with Jesus. And that is exactly what I did after I became a believer. I began to talk to people about Jesus, but I was not driving past my headlights. I was not out over my skis. And so regardless of where you are, you have something to say about your walk with the Lord, and you do not want to self-censor yourself. You do not want to self-disqualify yourself. There is no perfect time or perfect maturity level you must attain before you can tell others about the transformative power of Christ. One of the ladies that I trained years ago Uh, In biblical counseling, she went through our training, and she was going to her first counseling session, and she called me the day before, and she was nervous. Uh, She was struggling with a lot of anxiety because this was her first counseling session after training, and she asked me, she said, Rick, what should I do? And I said, you need to go to sleep. You need to go to bed. I said, I want you to go to bed. And then tomorrow, you get up, and then you go and you meet that person, and it's going to be fantastic. You're not going to drive past your headlights. You're going to answer the questions the best that you can, and it's going to be a wonderful time, and God will meet you there. Well, the next day, she called me later in the—or emailed me. I think she emailed me later in the day, and she said it was an amazing meeting. God did so many wonderful things and God will. He will meet you there. Your goal is that you want to operate within your skill set. You want to understand what your gifting is. You may not have all the answers you wished you had, you may not be completely comfortable in a counseling context. Now, again, when you think about counseling context, I'm not talking about some sterile room where it is a formalized biblical counseling situation. No, I'm talking about sitting at your bar in your kitchen, uh, sitting in a coffee shop with another person. You might not have all the answers you had hoped. You might not be completely comfortable in that situation, but there is a greater one who is with you. And he will empower you. He will illuminate you to faithfully bring the word to bear on the life of that individual. You see, the Spirit of God is the Counselor, capital C. He is the one that operates in us and through us. There are several verses I want to share with you that poke at this idea of the great counselor who comes alongside us to help us to be ministers of his word. In Luke 21, 14 and 15, it says this, Jesus is talking, "'Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict.' Now what I am not talking about here is being sloppy. I'm not talking about irresponsibility. There are two things that run parallel to each other. One is human responsibility and the other is primary cause. We call it primary cause and secondary cause. Primary cause is God leading in charge, sovereignly guiding the situation. Secondary cause is human responsibility to where we cooperate with God in this narrative that he is writing. And so we're not being irresponsible. It's not like we're we're not praying and not reading our word, not reading the word, and not studying, and not doing due diligence. No, we are faithfully studying God's word. We are exegetes of God's word. We want to learn it memorize it. We want to understand it. We want to apply it. We want to do the hard work of digging around in God's Word and applying it to our lives. And so we're not going into a counseling context in a haphazard, willy-nilly way. We're doing the grunt work. We're sweating over God's Word. But when we step into those moments— God will illuminate your mind. He will give you the words to say, and it will be a surprising, satisfying moment that you have with God. In John 16, 13, it says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is real and alive. He is active in our lives. And if we are doing due diligence by digging into the word, the spirit of truth will help us. In Acts 1.8, we have this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what I was saying earlier. All believers have the Spirit's empowerment. All believers have the Spirit's illumination. And then in Romans fifteen, fourteen is this familiar passage. I myself, this is Paul talking, quote, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And able to instruct one another. Now we can apply this verse to ourselves today. The two things that you want is you want to be filled with goodness and filled with knowledge those are the two components uh, in our mastermind program the way that i talk to our students about it is that i would i would say compassion that you're filled with goodness uh, we're filled with compassion we're filled with knowledge and then we have the able uh, we are able to instruct one another and so you are continuing to build a relationship with jesus which is maturing your heart You are growing in your knowledge of God's word, and then out of a filled-up goodness and filled-up knowledge, you step out and you instruct the person that is in front of you. By the way, you don't have any choice about this because you are counseling. The question is never, am I counseling? The question is always, what kind of counseling am I doing? In Genesis 3, 6, we were introduced to another kind of counseling when Satan said, Did God say this? As he was talking to Eve. And from that point forward, there's always been two types of counseling in the world. In the beginning, in in Genesis 1 and 2, there was only one kind of counseling. God was the counselor. And then in in Genesis 3, there was an alternate kind, a a kind of counseling that is against God's word, an anti-word counseling. And so we have the opportunity to either counsel God's word or to counsel God's anti-word. One of the ways that you can counsel in an anti-word way is, for example, in your home, if you uh, give your spouse the silent treatment, that is a form of counsel. It is against God's word, but it is a form of counsel. And what you're counseling is, you're saying that you're not important to me. You're not worthy of my time. That is the counseling that you are giving Uh, If you are a parent that gets angry, sinfully angry at a child, you are counseling. Uh, You're saying to that child that I want to devalue you. I want to diminish you, that you are not important to me. You are giving counsel. And so you can give counsel by not saying anything silent treatment. You can give bad counsel by yelling at a child, or you can give good counsel. You can communicate to your spouse in a biblical way. You can communicate to your child in a biblical way. So the question never is, am I a counselor? The question is always, what kind of counselor am I? And so we have no option as far as being a counselor, the option, the crossroads comes as we, as us choosing what type of counsel we're going to provide. Now for the Christian, ultimately, the Spirit of God is the counselor, and that should bring us great comfort. The Counselor, capital C, is the Spirit of God, empowering us and illuminating us. And as long as you don't quench the Spirit, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, or you grieve the Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 4.29, you will experience amazement and satisfaction at what he does through you. And so as I wrap up, the question for you is, do you believe you are a biblical counselor? And I trust that you answer that, yes. And, and again, if you, per, if you prefer the word discipleship, that's fine. I mean, actually, I like that word better. I like the word discipleship more than biblical counselor. The word biblical counselor, in my mind, just has too much baggage attached to it at this point. I see the biblical counseling movement. It has passed its arc. Uh, it has had its heyday. It has done what it should have done. Uh, create a message of of biblical counseling, and that and create wonderful training uh, organizations that can do the work of training people in biblical counseling. But the better word is discipleship. That is the word that I had rather go back to, uh, because that's the word that has always existed uh, ever since we had the New Testament, and it is a much better word than biblical counseling. It's better. It's broader. It's broader in that it encompasses everyone, and it's a more accurate term for what we do. We do the work of making disciples. And so the real question that you want to answer in addition to are you a biblical counselor, which is a closed-ended question, and I trust that the way you answer that question is, yes, I am a biblical counselor. And then the next question is, what hinders you from speaking God's truth in the lives of others you want to step out and do the work now perhaps some of you would like to and and you're in a place to get some additional training in discipleship or biblical counseling and if that is you then i would appeal to you to come to our mastermind program and that you sign up for it. It is an all online course that is very interactive. We interact with our students in proportion that they interact and engage the full scope of the program. And so it's not that you do an assignment and then you hear from us six weeks later. We want to always be interacting with our students. It is a hands-on program that focuses on three aspects. Theology, which is the foundation, that is the core of all discipleship. The greater or the, the more mature you become in theology, understanding God's word, the more depth and contour will your counseling happen. And so the foundation of our program is theological. And then uh, the second aspect is general sanctification. And then the third aspect is the practicum or application, where you are applying theology uniquely in other people's lives. And this is what we teach our students. And by the way, when you come out of our program, it's not one-size-fits-all. One of the things that we try to help our students to see is the extent or the ceiling of their gifting. Everybody has a ceiling, and what you want to discern is what is your ceiling. Are you a singing-in-the-shower counselor? Is that, is that as high as you go? Well, then praise God! Or are you a formalized biblical counselor? Can you go to that place uh, in your maturity and application of God's word? Well, if you can, great. It doesn't make you any better than the shower singer, but everybody is operating according to their capacity. The hand doesn't say to the foot that we have no need of you. Everybody, wherever you are in the body of Christ, has a responsibility to go and make disciples. Some people will be more highly skilled. Praise God for them. Some people will not have that skill level. Praise God for them. Our program will not only train you in theology, sanctification general, and specific application, practicum, But we will also help you to discern your gifting and find your spot in the body of Christ, preferably in your local church, supplementing what your leaders are doing, coming alongside them, doing the work of discipleship. Now, if we can help you to explore these things, then the first thing that you want to do is to jump on our free course, which is an introduction. It explains what our Mastermind program is about. You go through that information. It probably won't take you but just a few minutes now there's a lot of resources there that you could spend a couple of days because we do want to answer all of your questions but the first thing you want to do is jump on that free course to find out what this training is about and if you're in faith to step out and to step into our mastermind program then we want you to do it we would love to serve you that way